0: Terms apply.
1: listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is your 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss.
2: Hi, everybody. We have covered some really fascinating mysteries at Ohio's colleges and universities, from disappearances to unsolved murders to hazing deaths. Names like Brian Schaefer... And Judy Martins and Ron Tammen have become legend as subjects of some of these mysteries. Tonight, we're going to add another one to the list. Charles Chico Ballard. On February the 8th, 2000, someone lured Chico to the basement of his apartment next to the campus at Ohio State University. And there, between 3 and 4.15 a.m., they killed him. According to a 2010 story in the Columbus Dispatch, detectives are also pretty confident about who pulled the trigger. Homicide detective Dana Farbacher said it was a planned execution. He called it a Hollywood hit. But here we are, more than 20 years later, and still not enough evidence to bring this one to court. So here's the story of Charles Chico Ballard, with a nod to the reporting of Holly Zachariah of the Dispatch. In hindsight, it seemed Chico was always destined to become a mechanical engineer. He loved to take toasters and televisions apart just to see how they worked. Before he was 10, he was already building go-karts and hot rods in the garage of the family home in the Cleveland suburb of Shaker Heights. The eldest of three siblings, Chico was a role model for his younger brother and sister. He excelled at school, loved math, and was so passionate about chess, he always had a board sitting out, ready to go. By the age of 22, he was close to finishing his fifth year at Ohio State University, where he'd received a full academic scholarship. He had a little over a year left to go to collect his degree. The academic scholarship certainly made his dreams possible, but he still had to work hard to afford room and board at a school that was more than two hours away from home. He found a place in a big brick house at 328 East 17th Avenue, where the rent was cheap, maybe too cheap. He lived in apartment A and was the building's only paying tenant. The rundown property didn't have a locking back door, and sometimes homeless men slipped in to sleep in the basement. Those who knew Chico admired him and his efforts to rise up in life and go after what he wanted. His friend, Leo Felix, told the Columbus Dispatch he met Chico when they were pre-engineering students at an OSU orientation class the summer of 1995. Leo said that Chico, and here's a quote, gave me somebody I could depend on for anything. We were college kids trying to figure out where we were heading, and I didn't have a clear picture. But he did. He had a direction. Well, Leo and Chico became best friends. As a matter of fact, Leo was among a small group of buddies who hung out with Chico watching TV at his apartment that fateful February night. It was a school night, but they lingered as the clock sailed past midnight. Leo was the last to leave. He closed the back door behind him just before 3 a.m. For Leo, the first indication that something was wrong was when he didn't get Chico's usually morning phone call. Chico always called to confirm he'd be getting a ride to the material science engineering class that they took together. Leo tried calling Chico. He didn't answer. After class, he called him some more. Still no answer. That afternoon, Chico missed his telemarketing shift at a Columbus call center. He was supposed to work from 3 to 7 p.m. He didn't show up, and that was very unlike him. Then, on Wednesday, when Chico was absent from his 8 a.m. class, Leo felt panic. He hurried back to Chico's apartment and let himself in. Nothing looked amiss, but there was a very strange smell, almost as if there had been a fire, though there was no evidence of a fire. And so Leo left. He did not investigate the rest of the building. But he did page other friends, none of whom had seen Chico, some of whom had been trying to reach him. Finally, just before 6 p.m., Chico's girlfriend, Anissa, called Columbus police. Detective Dana Farbacher got the call. When he stepped inside Chico's building, using the broken back door, there were two options. Turn right to go into Chico's apartment or go down the steps to the basement. He found Chico in the basement. He'd been shot dead And his body set on fire. Farbacher took in the scene upstairs and down and tried to put together Chico's last moments. He surmised that when Leo left just before 3 a.m., the killer was probably already in the basement, patiently waiting for Chico to be alone. And when he was, the killer threw the circuit breaker and plunged the building into darkness. It appeared that Chico had rifled through his dresser, perhaps looking for a flashlight. He took his keys with him. He also grabbed a handgun he kept for protection. This wasn't the first rough neighborhood he had lived in. Wearing his Nike flip-flops, Chico descended the eight wooden steps to the basement. On the final step, he was shot three times, once each in the face, chest, and abdomen. Chico fell to the floor, his own gun beneath him, his set of keys still in his hand. Then the killer set fire to his body. None of Chico's neighbors reported hearing anything suspicious or seeing anything or anyone out of place.
0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
2: Back home in Shaker Heights, Chico's mom, Marsha Ballard, received a phone call that every parent's dread. It made no sense to her. What could someone possibly have against her son, the boy who wrote her poems and emailed her prayers every morning? But Chico had made at least one enemy, and Detective Farbacher learned who it was. There was bad blood between Chico and a clerk at the BP gas station at the corner of Summit Street and 17th Avenue, less than a half a block from the apartment. Once, the two had argued over the tax on a pack of cigars. Another time, that same clerk followed Chico to his apartment, where they had another confrontation. Detectives questioned the clerk. He didn't deny that argued, but insisted he didn't kill Chico. And then this happened. A week after Chico's death, a detective in the city's burglary department called Chico's girlfriend, Anissa. He knew nothing about the murder. He was calling because a man in a ski mask had tried to use a presumed stolen debit card at an ATM. The card was hers. Anissa still had her debit card, but she had been issued a second one. She had given it to her boyfriend, Chico, she told the burglary detective, and Chico had been murdered. The burglary detective immediately went to the Homicide Bureau, and that's when Detective Farbacher learned that the man who tried to use a debit card that had been in Chico's possession was the same clerk from the BP gas station. Even more damning, the clerk had tried to use the card at an ATM on 17th Avenue around 4.15 a.m. on February 8. That was just 90 minutes after Chico was last seen alive by Leo. Detective Farbacher interviewed the clerk again. He told the detective he'd found the card on the steps of a bagel shop. It proved to be a clever answer. Since Chico hadn't used the card in the days leading up to his murder, They couldn't prove the card was stolen the night of his death. Investigators got a search warrant for the suspect's apartment, but found nothing. The suspect later moved to Cincinnati. February had been the month of Chico's death. It was also the month of his birth. Three weeks after he was killed, more than a 100 people celebrated what should have been his 23rd birthday— at the Hale Black Culture Center in Columbus. They comforted each other and called on their shared faith that Chico had gone on to something better. His friend and fellow engineering student, Kenny Boyette, said, his death is a little change in plans, but we're still going to meet at the top. Leo Felix told those assembled that the last time he saw Chico, he was happy. We were talking about how we were going to graduate next year, he said. Anissa said one of Chico's greatest strengths was his ability to love. She said, he is always there for you. He will totally inconvenience himself for you because he loves you too. Chico was nothing but love. The case is still open. In 2010, Farbacher said they needed just one little piece of evidence or testimony to tie it all together. But to date, it still eludes him.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. And don't forget to check out our new YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Ohio Mysteries. And we'll see you Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio Mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings.